This Advent, we're preaching a series based on the themes in the Emotionally Healthy Relationships material by Pete and Jerry Scazzaro. This week, we consider families. Our families shape us in so many ways, for good and bad. And that then impacts how we relate in that family context and far beyond. There are lots of ways in which we take after our families. Here's a photo of my father's family at my parents' wedding. It's a photo that often leads people to comment how alike I am, each one of them. I've actually had people comment on the similarities between me and most of these family members. The story of the particulars in that small part of my family history have impacted my life story greatly. My dad is profoundly deaf. In fact, both my parents were. My aunt and her husband have sadly not had much relationship with the wider family for a whole stack of reasons. Though for some of my life, I was an exception to that. She's not even in this photo because she wasn't there. My grandparents both died untimely deaths, one by her own choice in her late 40s and one in a car accident in his 50s. The result of that meant that my uncle had lost both his parents when he was 20 and I was three. And so I pretty much grew up with him as an older brother. Some horrific stuff in there and in my wider family story. Stuff I've done lots of work around and benefited from lots of counselling, prayer ministry and healing around. But there's also some incredibly precious things. Things that I'm so thankful to God for and things that have shaped me into the person that I am today. My parents' deafness is a mixed bag for sure. Even this week, I had a fresh realisation of another negative impact of it. But it's one of the things that God's used to help me have a heap of the traits that many of those around me benefit from all the time. Things like the ability to connect things and people together, the necessity of noticing things and passing them on as needed, the interpreter in me, the ability to be present with people who need extra time and presence for all sorts of reasons. And having my uncle as a sort of older brother was precious in so many ways. Another person who understood the dynamics of my nuclear family without need for explanation and sharing some incredibly precious moments with him as he was dying a decade ago. Special moments and a relationship that I wouldn't trade for the world. Scripture has lots of stories of families in it, and the reality of the family dynamics in those stories is certainly not covered over. We see God's hand working powerfully through and despite the mess in those families, as well as in the beautiful parts. <coughs> the story of Joseph that we heard a snippet of today is one of those stories. Here's the bigger picture of that story. Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt through the betrayal of his brothers. And he was actually put into prison through the betrayal of his master's wife, Potiphar's wife. But because of that, in prison, he met members of the king's court 
and they discerned his spiritual insight and his wisdom. This eventually led to him being promoted to being the Prime Minister of Egypt after he was able to interpret a dream of Pharaoh and he foresaw a great famine coming. He was able through his administrative skills to prepare the nation for a great famine so that instead of death and starvation, there was now food and life all through Egypt. Jacob, Joseph's father, and his remaining sons in Canaan are facing starvation too. The narrator, just a bit earlier than what we heard read before, so skillfully shows us in the beginning of this part of the story in chapter 42, that the family dynamics are well and truly at work. We read there, when Jacob learned there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Go get some food so we don't die. But Jacob does not send Benjamin because he doesn't trust them. So the 10 other brothers go to Egypt and they stand before Joseph and they don't recognize him. Though Joseph recognizes them, which makes sense because when they last saw him, Joseph was still a teenager. Joseph remembers the dream and he says, you spies, you sent here from a hostile country to spy out the land. They say, no, no, we're brothers. We're sons of one man. He throws them into prison and they lose hope. Then he brings them out of prison and he says to them, I'm a fair man. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the grain and you can go home, but I'll keep one of you as a hostage so that when you come back for grain, if you bring this last son, this younger brother you say exists, if you bring him back and I see that he exists, then I'll know that you're telling the truth. So they go home, they tell Jacob. Jacob says, I'll never give you Benjamin to take back. But after their food is gone, as the years go by, a couple of years go by and they're desperate again, Jacob finally relents. In great agony, he gives them Benjamin. Benjamin goes with them and they go back to Egypt. They come before Joseph. Joseph gives them the grain, but as they're on their way home, suddenly a messenger from Joseph's court comes and overtakes them and says, someone stole the royal silver cup. They open everyone's bags and they find in the sack of grain of Benjamin, the silver cup. They come back to Joseph and they fall on their knees. They say, we're your slaves. Joseph says, no, no, no. Just need one of you, the guy in whose sack we found the cup, Benjamin, him, he has to stay. He must be a slave forever. The rest of you can go free. At that moment, Judah, one of the brothers, steps forward and makes an offer to take Benjamin's place. It's so astounding and it's so electrifying that finally the climax Joseph cannot stand it anymore. He sends all the other Egyptians away from his presence. When he was alone with his brothers, he said, it's me, it's Joseph. Is father well? They're absolutely speechless.
that's the story. That's this family's story. What does it mean? What does the story mean? Joseph says to them what the story means. He says, you were doing all these things. You were selling me. I was falling. I was being betrayed. <coughs> but underneath all the other things that happened, God was doing something. Underneath everything, behind everything else that you were doing and that I was doing and that we were doing, God was doing something. God was at work. In the midst of the horrific treatment of Joseph and others in this family's story, the purposes of God are being worked out in hidden, mysterious ways. In the midst of this story, not only was this family saved and blessed, but the world was blessed because of the position that Joseph ended up in because of his brother's treatment of him. And Joseph is later able to say those famous words, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph could have been completely swayed by the circumstances of his life and the impact on him of the actions of his family, but he wasn't. It's only as we look at the reality of the patterns of our family and the many ways that they impact us, and as we press into God with regard to that, that we're able to find freedom and see those things transformed so that they're able to genuinely become a blessing to the world. There's lots of things that might help you to do that. And if this is particularly raising stuff for you, I encourage you to talk to some trusted Christians around you and perhaps a Christian counsellor. There's also two tools up the back that Peter and Jerry Scazzaro's workbook encourages us to do. One's a family diagram called a genogram that helps us look for patterns in our families and perhaps how we're repeating them. Another is a list of unbiblical family commandments, the kind of commandments that lots of our families um, kind of encourage us in that are not actually the ways of God. Both of these tools can help us see some of the patterns in our families that may be impacting us in some way and to with God and perhaps trusted others work to shift them. For me, though tools, the support of trusted others, good counselling and much else has been invaluable, the primary thing that has brought freedom and the ability for pain from my family story to be transformed has been pressing into God with that part of my story as he allows that part of the picture to be brought into focus. To pursue him and to allow him to bring the healing and wholeness that he longs for me. And then to allow that to be an offering of blessing to the world. Because what was meant for evil, what was done often by others' unhealth, brought about by their own experiences, God has meant for good. But how is that possible? It's possible because of the one who came into our world, the one who we celebrate at Christmas, the one who chose to come into the mess of our lives. Because Jesus came into the world, because he came and experienced our pain, and took the sin of the world upon himself, 
What determines our identity is not our biological blood, but the blood of Jesus. Like Judah in the story of Joseph's family, Jesus became our substitute and that act meant that we're no longer trapped by our sin and brokenness and it means that we're able to be free of the things that have shaped us. Our identity no longer needs to be determined by our biological blood or anything else but by the blood of Jesus. That's mind-blowing, life-changing stuff. And it also means that we're part of a new family. We're part of God's family. The family of people whose identity is determined by the blood of Jesus. The family of people who know that reality deeply. The family of people who coming out of that reality live in ways that are aligned with God's will. The family of people who are being shaped more and more into the likeness of the one whose death enables our participation and belonging in this family. And so it's the traits of this family, which is the family of all of us who trust in Jesus, that increasingly marks us. Increasingly, we come to understand that it's our presence in this family because of the blood of Jesus that determines our identity. Increasingly, the Spirit of God works in us and we work with him to allow the traits of this family to be outworked in our lives. We work with God to put off the ways that we've been shaped by our human family of origin that are not aligned with the traits of God's family. And we cooperate with God as he works to cultivate in us the traits of those who are in his family. As Colossians 3 in the message says, because this is our real life, that is, we're members of this family, it means killing off everything connected with that way of death. So that is the things in our lives that aren't aligned with the ways of this new families, which are often those shaped in us by our human families of origin. And it means dressing in the wardrobe God picked out for us, that is, the things that mark his family, being marked by compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength and discipline, being even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offence, forgiving as quickly and completely as God has forgiven us, and ultimately being marked by love. It's the basic all-purpose garment for those in God's family. So as we ponder emotionally healthy relationships this Advent, let's give thanks for the many good things that have been shaped in us through our earthly families. Let's remember that we have a God who is able to use all that has been in our experience for our good and for the benefit of the things he longs to do through us in his world. Let's remember that our identity as Christians is not determined by our biological blood, but by the blood of Jesus. Let's remember that because of that, that we're part of a new family, God's family. And let's work with God 
to put to death the things that are not aligned with the traits of his family and work with him to dress in the wardrobe of love that is the mark of his family.